Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we've got to Series 1, Episode 4 of The Avengers, Nightmare. This was recorded and transmitted on the 28th of January 1961... And it's the first of the episodes where everything is missing. There are no scripts, there are no telesnaps, there are no production photographs, there were no repeats, there's no reconstruction, and obviously the episode itself is missing. So this time we've gone completely off the Big Finish audio reconstruction, which can be found on The Lost Episodes Volume 5 of their collection. This was released in January 2016 and was written by Dan Starkey from a storyline by Terence Feely. Dan Starkey, better known to most Doctor Who fans, as Strax. Now this, as I say, is completely lost and the only information available was taken from newspaper cuttings and TV Times listings. Dave Rogers, who was an archivist, he researched the Avengers extensively in the 1980s, although a lot of that original paperwork is now lost. So there's not really much to say about this. Simon, do you have a precy for us? I do, and it's taken from Dave Rogers' book, The Ultimate Avengers. And the precy of Nightmare is when Professor Braintree disappears, his wife calls on Dr. Keel for advice. During the consultation, there is an attempt on Keel's life. Somebody has mistaken him for the professor. Steed's plan to use Keel as bait brings the doctor close to death for a second time, threatened by the scalpel of a shady medico. Carol is caught and tied up by the would-be assassin before she can contact Steed. Steed finds out what happened in time to save Keel's life and release Carol. The professor, unaware of all the fuss, returns home. He's been suffering from temporary amnesia. Professor Braintree. Forgive me, I was expecting someone else. Reese, Commander Reese. How can I help you, Commander? Excuse me, Professor, but this is a matter of some urgency. <laughs> I'm sure. But I'm not... Yes? Never mind. This urgent matter you were talking about. We'd like you to accompany us to Curzon Street. Oh, can't we talk about it inside? I'd rather not, Professor. It is an issue of national security, you understand? I see. And I presume that Hopkins at the Institute has cleared this? Yes, he's given us the OK. Mm. So if you could step into the car here, my colleague will drive us. Certainly. I'd just like to get my coat. I don't think that would be necessary, Professor Braintree. Come along, time's pressing. Let go of me! What do you think you're doing? Get into the car, now! The first thing I want to say about this is that I went into this with some trepidation. What Big Finish have done, they've taken the scant bits of information that there are and the cast list which does exist. They've written this, effectively, a brand new story. Big Finish's stuff has been a little bit hit and miss in this department, so I went into it with some trepidation, but I have to say, hats off, Dan Starkey, he did a fantastic job capturing the feel of the era. Big Finish, as ever, their sound design, their production, it feels like a 60s Avengers episode, certainly one of the early ones. I really quite enjoyed this. Yes, yes, I did. I, th I thought it was well written. I thought it really felt like an Avengers episode from 1961. Mm. Um, you could imagine this being done on the small screen. The voice of Steed 
does jar because it's not Patrick McNee and mm. you're so used to Steed being Patrick McNee. Dr. Keel, less so because when you think of the Avengers, you think of Steed. That is true, now, yes. Okay, that wasn't the case in these early ones, but there are very few of the early ones that we can actually see and make that assessment to. So it's really the, um, the voice of Steed, not sounding like Steed, that stands out. Once. Having said that, it is a good performance. And I'm aware that I'm kind of sounding like the people who criticised Ray Fiennes when he played Steed in the Avengers film in the 90s, I think. Yeah, 98. For not being Patrick McNee. And I actually really like his performance, and he plays a different Steed, but still a recognisable Steed. We'll, we'll come on and do the, the movie probably when we've done all of the others, so expect that in a number of years' time. <laughs> but, spoiler, I do really quite like the movie. I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago, and I viewed it through the lens of not being a, an Avengers aficionado, so I could view it quite distracted and just enjoy it for what it is. Getting back to Nightmare, the same problem I've got keeps rearing its head, and I thought that it might have started to wear off a bit by now. Keel and Steed sound remarkably similar, and sometimes you have to concentrate which one is it in this scene. That is my only gripe. But I did think it would have worn off a bit by now. We're getting there, four episodes in. I don't know, what's your feeling about this? Um, I don't have a problem telling the difference between the two of them. But bear in mind, I've heard all of these before. I, I got them all when they first came out, and I've listened to all of them. So I'm I'm more familiar with the vocal performances than you are. But the one, coming back to it, I am just really happy that this original script is so close to the feel of the 1961 series. I had real doubts. I thought it would be some horribly convoluted or cliche-ridden plot, and it, it's not. It was really quite good. Yes, it, it's an enjoyable plot. There are bits of it that are fit in perfectly to the time but are a bit rubbish, like the whole hiding somebody in a, a giant crate and getting them into the, the research institute that way. Why didn't they just have an extra delivery man? Or something like that. That that was unnecessarily complicated. I thought the actual plot I really enjoyed, and the whole it's amnesia is such a cliche. Probably even by this point, mm. that nobody would really be doing it, except that it works perfectly in the context of the the story about new drugs. And on the the subject of that, the scene where Dr. Keel is exposed to that drug and then has his own hallucinations while he's in the room full of rats, I thought was just brilliantly done and sounded amazing. Well, I listened to that in, as I often do with audios, late at night, in the dark, soft lighting, headphones on. That was brilliant. The rat scene. I was going to come on to that, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. Williams? Is that you? Who is it? Hello? No one. Just you, with your beady little eyes, eh? Silly. Lot of you, aren't there? So many cages. All. The wall of cages. The walls. The floor moving. Oh. No. So many rats. Everywhere. I. Uh. Oh. Get away. Get away from me. Filthy 
In fact, I have to say that's the best sounding bit of any of the Avengers episodes that we've listened to so far. And okay, this is only the fourth one we've listened to, but it's head and shoulders above everything else. That was absolutely brilliantly realized and really creepy. And probably if the episode is recovered, the real scene, I suspect, isn't as atmospheric as that. Because well, they'd be working with limit, within the limitations of a live production in the 1960s. So it would all have been, I have no doubt, a very good and capable performance from Ian Hendry. But it would be all in his performance. Well, it does beg the question, how much of this is invented? How much of this is basically a brand new story? And how much is picking through the bones of what actually went on on screen? Yeah. Because there's there's very little left paperwork-wise. There's hardly anything. And actually, it shows how good it is and how how well it fits into the series that I'm thinking in terms of this is what Henry and McNeil were doing rather than this is what something vaguely resembling the plot may have been. Well, an example of that will be when we get to it. I know you've experienced all of it. I haven't yet. Tunnel of Fear which was missing at the time that Big Finish did it and then turned up. Do they bear any relation to each other? I can't remember because I, I, as soon as I knew we were doing this podcast, I deliberately hadn't listened to the, the adaptations again. So I, I haven't heard these in years. I'm remembering them as I'm, as I'm going through, but I'm, I'm deliberately re- sort of rediscovering them as we're going along. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to that one. Like I said, I could be completely wrong here, but... There's so little material for a chunk of these episodes. I mean, the, there are no telesnaps for the first 12 episodes. Uh, there are precious few production stills. And four of the episodes in that first dozen have little more than a, a short precy of what the episode's about. So the fact that it's even been attempted to piece back together what these are is quite interesting tunnel of fear does have a full script so that is probably going to be quite close to what it was but these earlier ones where there's virtually nothing i suspect are large fabrications of what went on on screen but even so but it's a very good one it it is i've enjoyed this as much if not actually a little bit more than a couple of the ones we've done so far. Some of the medical stuff was slightly odd in the way that it was scripted because there was some very technical language in there and almost in the same sentence, stuff that was very much dumbed down. So I can't remember exactly what the technical stuff was, but it talks about air being trapped. And I think most people have a vague idea what a pneumothorax is. No. Oh, it's air trapped in the the lung cavity. Um, But there was... Was it talking about thoracotomies or something? It's, it's some really quite technical language between two doctors, which is what you would expect. And then suddenly this very non-technical thing. And that kind of jarred to me a bit because it's either you accept that your audience isn't really going to know what you're talking about. and You don't use any technical language. And it's for some reason, two doctors who are talking in patient speak or... You do the whole lot in technical language and assume that your audience is either going to say, oh, that's a nice, nice big word. We like that or have a vague idea of what's going on. But mixing and matching between the two jarred just a little bit. That's a very, very minor niggle for an hour of of, it's not an hour of television, an hour of audio. The only thing I thought was uh, slightly odd 
was there was a they all had a fight in the end in the operating room and hmm. uh chief antagonist gets either does he get shot or stabbed so he's slumped in a corner while all the nurses turn their attention back to getting keel well again on the operating table unconscious where would the priorities lie there <laughs> probably with the person who hasn't tried to kill you <laughs> Because I th- I think there was only one nurse in there, wasn't there? There was the the surgeon, the anaesthetist, and the nurse. And the anaesthetist is sort of out of the way because he he's one of the, the villains, and he's off gibbering in the corner because he's just stabbed somebody. Uh, the nurse is doing his job. The surgeon is doing the surgeon's job. Presumably, Although chief I, villain I, snuffed it. Hmm, I don't think it's made clear, but mm. yeah, you can you can assume that. Um, one thing I did notice as it was going going through the Professor Braintree's lab assistant. Two things I noticed about him. Firstly, he's down as Mister, and anybody doing research at this level would have a would have a PhD, so it should really have been Doctor. That's a minor niggle. It's not a character that's listed on the cast list, so whether he was there in the original or not, we don't know. But I suspect it's not by accident. The name of the character was Graham Williams. Oh, I, do you know, I didn't pick up on that, and I really should. And you don't ever have the two of them together. Um, it's sort of, you can call me Mr. Williams, but actually I'd prefer you to call me Graham. It's very nice they've got a consultant surgeon in to put in a chest strain. Um, <laughs> it's it's fairly basic stuff. I used to do them when I was a trainee. So. I, I've got to give this thumbs up. So I suppose, really, we're galloping towards rating this in Masterminds. <laughs> What do you think? I'm going to give this a four. I really enjoyed this. I'd agree with that. Yep, four out of five. And I'm placing a lot of that at the door of Dan Starkey for what is a very, I want to say period script, but it fits in so well with the episodes that we've listened to so far or, or watched and listened to. And I was going to say, with these and how good they are, it is such a shame the direction they chose to take with the Adam Adamant version they did because... This quality of script and production, doing the missing episodes of Adam Adamant or Callan or any of those, would be wonderful. Oh, you see, I should go back and have another crack at Adam Adamant, but I really struggled with that. I didn't like it at all. It was trying to put a a clever postmodern take on the story that wasn't in any way clever. But we're not talking about that. We're We're talking about the Avengers and we pretty much come to the end of the end of this spiel. Yes. So, uh, yeah, hats off, Big Finish. Excellent job with that. But we should be back at the same time next week when we'll be looking at episode five, which is Crescent Moon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye now. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.